Our reading is taken from Matthew 27, verses 45 to 54. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatna, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard these, heard this, they said, he's calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again with a loud voice, he gave up the spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and rocks split and the tomb broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Well, can I add my welcome to Mark's if you've joined us since the start of the service. With Easter just around the corner, we thought we'd take this opportunity to look afresh at Jesus' death as we consider why it matters so much and what it achieved. Normally, when we think about death, we associate it with words such as frailty, fragility, feebleness, fear, even failure, but certainly not achievement. And in ancient times, being put to death by crucifixion was about as far from a success as you could get. It was gruesome. Seemed to be one of the most humiliating and shameful things a person could endure. In fact, Cicero, a Roman statesman, argued that the very mention of the cross should be far removed, not only from a Roman citizen's body, but from his mind, his eyes, his ears. It was a taboo to the extreme. And yet, despite this, over 2,000 years on, Christians seem to be in many senses proud of Jesus' death, even placing it at the very centre of our religion. So why do we believe this? What did Jesus' death really achieve? And why is this such earth-shattering news? The passage Ian just read provides an account of the final moments of Jesus' life. The previous few chapters have all been building to this point. Just before our verses, we see Jesus being mocked on the cross for his inability to bring himself down and save himself. In the eyes of the religious leaders, this proved that he couldn't be the Son of God. Now in verse 45, we get to Jesus' death itself. And we're going to see that rather than as a sign of weakness, his death achieves four things. 
satisfying God's wrath, providing access to God, giving new resurrection life, and opening the way to all people. So firstly, Jesus' death satisfied God's wrath, verse 45 to 50. In verse 45, we see that from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. Time seemed to slow down as three hours of darkness descends. It's hard to imagine what it would have felt like, but it must have felt quite sinister, quite threatening, quite eerie. It was meant to. From the Old Testament, in places such as Amos and the Ten Plagues of Egypt, we know that darkness was a sign of God's judgment. After this, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a direct quote from the opening line of Psalm 22, a prophetic psalm of David, written nearly 1,000 years earlier, which describes the extreme suffering of a king on behalf of his people, leading to their salvation. Matthew gives us Jesus' words here in Aramaic, his everyday language, making it even more personal, helping us to feel how intensely abandoned Jesus must have felt in that moment. Being abandoned is a horrible feeling. I remember getting lost in the supermarket as a young child and feeling abandoned by my mum as I couldn't find her anywhere. I was desperate and scared, and yet the reality was that she was only in the next door aisle. It's even worse to be forsaken. I recently met a Somali lady who, having converted to Christianity, had been, had been rejected by her family. Hated, reviled, she was as good as dead to them. On the cross, Jesus was utterly forsaken, but not just by his earthly family, but by his Father in heaven. He was totally cut off from the favour and fellowship of his Father, which he had known for eternity. And why was he forsaken? He was forsaken to bear the full horror of the sins of the world and to bear our sin. Some of us might want to shy away from the word sin, but sin is basically all the times that we've turned away from God or pushed him out from the centre of our lives. All the careless words, the unkind thoughts, the selfish acts, the failure to put God first and to live his way. We might feel like we're not that bad, but all of us have done wrong. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this makes us deserving of God's judgment. At the cross, Jesus faced the judgment that we deserve so that we don't have to face it ourselves. And what's more, Jesus wasn't coerced into it. We see in verse 50 that he gave up his spirit. His life wasn't taken from him, but he willingly died as a substitute in our place. Amazingly, Jesus' death completely satisfied God's wrath. So secondly, 
Jesus' death gives access to God, verse 51. At the very moment that Jesus breathes his last, we see that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, verse 51. This was no small matter. The temple curtain was a 60 foot high and 30 foot wide hanging barrier woven to the thickness of a man's hand. It was there to stop people entering the Holy of Holies, which was the place in the temple where God dwelt. It was like a big warning sign saying, danger, keep out, no entry, blocking access to the presence of God from sinful humanity. If you know your Old Testament history, up to this point, only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies, and then only once a year on the Day of Atonement, with blood and sacrifices for both his and the people's sin. Anyone else who entered would die. But with God's wrath dealt with, God tore open the curtain, allowing believers to come directly into God's presence. As the penalty for sin was paid, the barrier between God and humankind was completely destroyed. This was no little tear that could be fixed with some clever stitching. It was ruined, beyond repair, completely redundant. And there can be absolutely no doubt that God was the one doing the tearing. No human could have torn the curtain from the top down. This means that there's no longer any separation between God and people. There's no longer a need for priestly sacrifices, no longer a fear of death for believers who come into God's presence. Wonderfully, Jesus achieved full access to God for all who trust in him. So thirdly, God's death, Jesus' death, gives new resurrection life, verse 52 and 53. After the curtain, an earth-shattering event took place. The earth shook, the rocks split and tombs broke open. The the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. We might find this rather strange, but we shouldn't actually be surprised. We see here that Jesus' death disturbed the realm of the dead. His death has the power to open graves. In fact, his death marks the end of death itself. Death no longer rules. By dying, Jesus conquered sin and death, providing new resurrection life to all believers. This means if we're trusting in Jesus' death on the cross, then death no longer has a hold on us. It is not the end. We can be utterly confident that we too will be raised on the final day with new resurrection bodies, wonderful and perfect. I don't know about you, but I can't wait. No more twingy knees, no more dodgy back, no more battling to keep the grey hairs at bay, no more sickness and decay. Instead, Jesus' death secures us new resurrection life. How amazing. And finally, 
we see that Jesus' death opens the way to people from all places. Verse 54 says, When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Right before Jesus died, the Jewish religious establishment had used the title Son of God to mock Jesus, as they failed to grasp his true identity and mission. In contrast, we now see pagan soldiers rightly filled with awe as they confess that truly this was the Son of God. It's somewhat ironic that this is a group of pagan soldiers, outsiders, who recognised Jesus as the Son of God, whilst the religious leaders, those who should have been on the inside, continued to reject him. Yet this was no surprise to God. It was always part of the plan. Right back at the start of the Bible, God promised that he would bless all the nations through one man. And here, God is starting to do exactly that. Jesus' death achieves a way to the Father for people from every tribe, tongue and nation, whatever our background, our circumstances or our personal history. And we see exactly that today. As Jesus' death is proclaimed, there are all sorts of people from different places turning to trust him. A few years ago, I visited some inmates at Brixton Prison who'd recently become Christians, having read Mark's Gospel together. One prisoner shared how his life had been totally turned round because of Jesus Christ. He even confessed that he was glad he'd ended up in prison because without it, he may never have met Jesus. This is just one of the many extraordinary stories of life turned around by the cross. God really is at work with surprising people in unexpected places, in prison, even in Parliament. So we've seen that Jesus' death achieves four wonderful things for those who trust in him. God's wrath satisfied, access to God enabled, new resurrection life granted, and people from all places welcomed in. So what difference does that make to us here today? Maybe you're sat here and having heard about God's judgment, you feel very aware of all the ways you've messed up. If that's you, I hope you've seen that there is no better place to turn than to Jesus and his death for you. If we don't acknowledge Jesus for who he is, we're in the awful position of facing God's judgment on our own. Please don't make the same mistake that the religious leaders made with Jesus. They assumed that they were already all right with God and didn't need Jesus' death. Like them, we too can easily look very respectable, yet reject the only means of forgiveness that God provides. And if you're here as someone trusting in Jesus, I hope and pray you've been amazed afresh at the enormity of what Jesus achieved for you at the cross. Isn't it amazing that he willingly gave up his life, 
dying such a gruesome death so that we can have access to God as our Father. And with this, the utter confidence of his full forgiveness, guaranteeing that death is not the end. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus and his willingness to die a gruesome death on a cross, facing your wrath so that we could be forgiven and enjoy a relationship with you forever. Thank you that through Jesus' death, many types of people throughout the world and even here in Parliament have been welcomed into your kingdom. Thank you for the diversity of believers within Parliament and we pray that you would continue to raise up new disciples here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.